1: Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me Michelle Tafoya sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals there has never been a better time to invest in precious metals go to legacypminvestments.com legacypminvestments.com so what really is diversity equity and inclusion also known as DEI what really is it what does diversity mean what does equity mean what does inclusion mean And those words, when they are put together in this little umbrella of DEI, what does that look like on campus in particular? How many officers, vice presidents, chair people, board people fall under that DEI category? What do they do on campus? And what are they doing to education? What's going on for real? Is it healthy? Is it smart? Is it wise? Is it fair? Ilya Shapiro, <laughs> once a Georgetown lecturer who parted ways after they disagreed with some of his tweets, he's a guy who likes liberty. He's a guy who believes in the constitution. He works for the Manhattan Institute, and he is working with another very well-known name, Christopher Rufo, on a project to say to state legislators, "Hey, you can eliminate this DEI from colleges and universities and other schools in your state. No, it doesn't mean kicking off clubs that, you know, want to celebrate a certain ethnicity or culture or even Marxism. What it does mean is taking these components of DEI that quite frankly are authoritarian in nature, take them out of schools. Ilya Shapiro is a perfect person to discuss this. He joins us next.
0: For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya.
1: Ilya, it's great to see you again. You're one of my rare repeat guests, but this is such an important topic to me. I'm going to read this title, Abolish DEI Bureaucracies and Restore Colorblind Equality in Public Universities. You're working on this with Christopher Rufo and Matt, and I, I'm afraid to say, how is Matt pronounce his last name?
2: Um, Byenberg. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Bri- I think it's Weinberg. <laughs> I think it's okay.
1: Bienberg. We're both just looking at it, going, "Ooh, uh, there are a lot of a lot of vowels there." But anyway, this is an <laughs> ambitious project, and I. Th- why don't you explain to us what are you guys really trying to achieve here?
2: Right. Uh, good to be back with you. I think it was eight months ago when we last spoke around the yes. time when I was uh, resigning from Georgetown and using that spotlight to, to show all the illiberal aspects of, of legal education uh, and higher education more broadly. And that's where this project comes in. So uh, a lot of people, myself included, before I had my whole uh, you know Twitter investigation with, with Georgetown, I thought, well, you know there's nothing we can do there are these uh, you know pathologies uh within faculty within uh, uh administrators student cultures you know there's nothing that you can really do but uh, the more you look at it the more you think about it there 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 is something you can do because so much of this is driven not by kind of a decades-old conservative complaint about uh, liberal takeover of, of the faculties, you know, the Berkeleys from the 60s and, and all of those kind of, you know, boomer concerns, uh, but the bureaucracies themselves. And uh, I think it was a, a, about 15 years ago, maybe a little less than that, where uh, across academia there started to be more administrators, non-teaching staff than faculty, which yeah. is always ominous. That that's ominous in in the public sector, and it's it's ominous in, in education as well. Uh, and especially uh, in the last you know five years, um, that has all been DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which in, in in a very Orwellian way means the opposite of these great <laughs> terms: diversity, yes. fairness, welcoming. You know all these things that we should like, but it's not all puppies and rainbows. It's the it's the opposite of that, and so. Uh, getting together with, you know, lots of people who are working in this area, we want to think about, we want to change these structures and systems and processes. You know, the, the equity folks, the, the, the critical studies folks talk about systemic racism and structural this and that. Well, there are structures that are fomenting the, this uh, indoctrination, this radicalization of higher ed and so forget you know setting aside the issue of what classes should be taught or what professors can and can't say and regulating speech setting that aside what about the bureaucracies or the 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 uh, the educrats as i like to call oh, them oh that's and a so, good term and so this this project uh, this model legislation these proposed reforms we target four areas and this is uh, uh you know, state legislatures who have control, it works differently in different states, but have some sort of control over public institutions can uh, legislate. Uh, so number one, and this is the biggest one, is, as you read out the title of the whole thing, abolishing DEI bureaucracies, that is removing the positions uh, of people who are not contributing to the educational mission. Now, to be clear, and we define this This is very legalistic, you know, we poured over it with very kind of uh, lawyerly fly-specking, we define our terms very clearly, and this does not include, for example, people working to comply with federal and state civil rights laws, Title IX, Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, other kinds of federal and state prohibitions on racial discrimination, what have you. No, this is the people who are putting in these new indoctrination programs, uh, they're being hired like all bureaucrats. They face incentives to expand their bailiwicks to get bigger budgets. And so they, they, they look for dragons to slay. They find evidence of, uh, of racism and sexism and what all these isms where they're not really there. And that really has the effect of chilling speech, of subverting due process, all of these things that we complain about in higher education. So, again, get, just get rid of all of those uh, staff that's not contributing to the educational mission. And by Love the is- way, Michelle, yeah. w- the, they're not even succeeding on their own terms. There are climate surveys about whether students feel more welcome, feel more comfortable with diversity. And on all of those metrics... Across ethnic lines and what have you, they've all gone down since these DEI offices. That doesn't
1: surprise me because I would not feel welcome on campus these days. I, I wouldn't. And I'm a Hispanic woman, but I wouldn't. Um, so this is, this seems to me to be, I'm glad this is the first pillar, Ilya, because it seems to me to be the really, really challenging one. If you are a state, Uh, Look at Ron DeSantis. He's getting vilified being called a dictator for trying to have any kind of influence over education, like education should be this free space for ideas. And as you've pointed out, DEI has made it less free. I mean, it's it's just it's become an it's a it's a sort of this umbrella of intolerance. But how how do you convince I mean, how do you convince these states that they can slash these these bureaucrats?
2: Bills have been introduced in, in a number of states, governors and attorneys general are looking at what they can do through enforcement actions through executive actions that are already uh, uh, they're empowered to do governor Abbott in Texas a couple of weeks ago. Uh, said you know did a just like biden going the other way putting equity into you know having these political commissars attached to every government federal government right. agency abbott is doing the reverse and saying we are not going to throughout texas agencies which includes educational institutions we are not going to have this and and you've seen a reaction and it, it, it comes when when lights are shone on on these sorts of operations uh, very quickly, there's a pausing. Uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a report uh, out of uh, Texas Tech, which is a, a, a state uh, institution there, uh, uh, just with FOIA documents that uh, a biology department was hiring based on diversity statements, not on whether you're the best chemist or the best you know, biologist or what have you, but on, you know, can you, can you parrot this, this language? And one Wall Street Journal op-ed was all it took for the president of the university to say no we are not going to do this we're reevaluating our hiring across all uh, departments so there's a I, this this gives me hope because i was okay. despairing not about society more broadly and we we can get into this because there's you know complicating <laughs> factors but higher yes. education is an echo chamber where you know the left hand doesn't know what the far left hand is doing, and there's not much of a, uh, you know, there, there's no critical mass of of n- not even conservatives or libertarians, but non progressives, and you know even the boomers are afraid of the next generation and and, and what have you. Uh, but things like this, and you see these statements cropping up. Uh, you know, I, I I follow the the Twitter discussions, and whenever these things are brought to light, all of a sudden the university administrators like, huh. Because this is the thing that I've discovered, certainly with my experience in Georgetown with Bill Trainer, the dean of Georgetown Law. He and most university leaders, deans, presidents, provosts, etc., are not uh, uh, woke radicals. They're not social justice warriors. They are uh, spineless cowards. <laughs> and so all it takes is to expose the shenanigans of the radicals who are a minority. You know, most people just, whether students or faculty, just kind of keep their head down and don't want to get involved in any of this mess. Um, and so if you can demonstrate that there is pushback, if you can elevate this to, to national issues, all of a sudden uh, the uh, the incentive structure that these leaders face, because they don't have any principles, they just go based on navigating how they can advance themselves. All of a sudden their incentive structures change and they can be forced to say, hold on a sec, do I really want to be the thought police and argued about on the front pages of, of the leading uh, you know, websites and newspapers.
1: Yeah. Well, well, one of the comes to mind or a situation that comes to mind is university of North Carolina right now. So the board of regents wants this new sort of department and you can correct me anywhere that I'm wrong. Cause I'm going by memory here that allows for, <laughs> for free thought and debate and civil debate and everything that a university should be in, in its own little department and, and this, The faculty is fighting back. Are you familiar with this story that I'm talking about? Yeah,
2: no, it's kind of funny. These these centers, they're called different things. I think I think at UNC, it's called the Classical Studies Center or Institute. But uh, basically, these, these free-thinking places are being created that actually embody the original mission of any institution of higher right. education. Right. But they've been so perverted that we need to create special centers. It's like <laughs> at Georgetown, where I was hired, I was hired for the Center for the Constitution. And that's such an important body because the rest of the law school – is a center against the constitution. Uh, and so yeah, UNC is uh but again with with public with public institutions there can be legislative and 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 other uh uh public officials uh providing uh, uh oversight. Um a little different in in private institutions uh but still a lot of the private places including Georgetown for that matter have adopted very good speech and expression policies. And then they violate them. Um, and so and they occasionally lose lawsuits and, and things like that. Stanford, another private institution, very elite, uh, put out you know, you know big scandal, made national news a month and a half, two months ago. They're forbidden words and phrases, yeah. things like, uh, you know, color blindness and uh, America in, in America. Everyone can achieve anything because of equal opportunity and uh, people should be judged on their merit. All of these sorts of Seemingly innocuous and and you know very good values are uh, were, were forbidden and can, and Stanford eventually had to walk that back because of the outcry. So more and more these things are happening. Maybe we've passed peak woke. I mean, don't get me wrong; these bureaucracies are still expanding in many places, uh, and they are still very powerful, uh, but uh, they're on notice. Maybe, maybe to kind of. <laughs> see what I remember from calculus from 25 years ago. Maybe the uh, the rate of increase has slowed and maybe eventually we can start uh, uh, reducing uh, the, the staff and the programming of this regard.
1: Quick break and we'll come back and talk about the other three pillars of your plan. Right back. So with the economy being what it is and the world stage being what it is, with a war going on and now China and Putin are meeting. And oh my gosh, it's it's a little crazy. And we've seen crazy now here many times in the last few years with the shelves running out of toilet paper during the pandemic. Uh, before a snowstorm, I went to the grocery store and uh, they were out of lettuce. They were out of romaine. I mean, the shelves were clearing like, so what about survival food? I know, I know some of you think this sounds a little out there, but I don't. I think it would be great to know that for the next 25 years, I had something in my cabinet that would serve my family and, and keep us fed in the case that, that there is no food or there's not the right kind of food. So I think this is a good idea. And I'm going to refer you to four patriots, fourpatriots.com. Use the code Michelle, M I C H E L E, get 10% off any kind of Purchase. This is hand packed right in a family owned facility in the USA. It's not ordinary food. We're talking about good for 25 years. The kits are compact and water resistant. They could stack right in your cupboard. They have all kinds of different foods and meals that you can prepare in 20 minutes with some hot water. And now, if you go to 4 and like I said, use the code Michelle, M I C H E L E. You get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. Go to 4Patriots.com. Use that code, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. They're called 4Patriots, by the way, because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. We love that. 4Patriots.com, code M-I-C-H-E-L-E. There is a lot that state legislatures can do to reverse the illiberal takeover of higher education through diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI offices that ironically stifle intellectual diversity, pervert equal opportunity, and exclude anyone who dissents from a rigid orthodoxy. All right. And you talked about number one, abolish DEI bureaucracies. Number two would be ending mandatory diversity training. Who, what's the biggest? hurdle to, to ending that?
2: Um, well, it's it's the the bureaucrats that have been hired to develop these <laughs> okay. programs. They have to justify themselves. And so we see uh, implicit bias training, microaggression training, all of these things. This is not, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners might uh, in their offices have to take sexual harassment training and, and things like this. This is not basic training on, you know, the, the, the law of the workplace or, or what have you. This is, Uh, operationalizing some of these radical critical theories whether it be race or gender or whatever Um, and uh, uh and if ironically again creating the very same hostile environment where everyone's on pins and needles and is afraid of doing or saying something and 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 uh feeling guilty and trying to judge their privilege and all of these things that prevents the organization from in this case an educational institution again operating as it should be this is why students and faculty have been reporting in in surveys for a while now uh, the need to self-censor that they can't talk about certain topics and again this is not just coming from conservatives this is you know anyone the only the only people these surveys say that are that feel comfortable talking are self-identified far left, uh, uh, individuals. And so these diversity trainings, uh, don't, again, they don't, uh, educate people about, you know, how, uh, how to prevent harassment, how not to get raped, how not, you know, what, you know, legit, you know, how not to discriminate or something. They are instead these, uh, the only way to be, uh, anti-racist is to be racist and all of these just weird, uh, illiberal, uh, theories. So get rid of them.
1: Well, I, I want to get to this word illiberal you just mentioned, because I, I I think it's important that people understand there's liberal, there's conservative, there's illiberal. How would you explain to someone who, who's sort of like, what does illiberal mean? How would you explain it?
2: Um, well, it is it, it, opposite to the classical definition of liberal, meaning for individual rights and freedoms, civil discourse, due process, these basic values on which our constitutional order are 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 social culture is really based. Illiberal is more authoritarian. Uh, things run through a, a political lens of any kind. I mean, you could be right wing, left wing, whatever. Uh, and subverting uh, or, or deprioritizing things like free speech and due process in favor of things like equity, equal outcomes, yes. uh, or you know, people uh, being made to to understand the hierarchy of intersectionality and whose voice matters more or should value matter more rebalancing redistributing uh, whether it's uh, property or power or privilege or what have you
1: it's cra- it's craziness to me it honestly is because I, I, I the fact that equity has replaced the word equality to me is is one of the biggest farces in America. I don't understand how people could ever accept equal outcomes among humans who are (coughs) human. Because we are human, we are all different. We all achieve different things. Some people can sing. Some people can't. Some people can paint. Others can't. So how can you possibly expect equal outcomes
2: my hairlines receding does that mean all men have to shave their heads you know
1: we may get to that to what end I can't imagine I mean, this, is,
2: this is this is like Kurt Vonnegut 's classic short story uh, uh, Harrison Bergeron where indeed there was a handicapper in chief that because there were talented dancers they were forced to wear ankle weights because they're talented singers they were you know some some device on their on their throats and people who who whose IQs were too high had to wear these headphones that uh, uh, you know, distracted them and, and things like this. That's you know, it's we, we thought it was uh, it was fiction, and it's uh, wasn't meant to be a how-to guide.
1: Oh, that's great. That is great.
2: Um, okay. So, pillar three, yes, is and this is in the news a lot. Uh, uh, just the last month is ending diversity statements or any other statements of uh, of political coercion or uh, loyalty oaths, for that matter. The Supreme Court has said has long said decades ago that. Ah, uh, loyalty oaths uh, from public institutions are unconstitutional.
1: I, that's what I. It, it just seems illegal to me to force someone to sign something they don't agree with.
2: And yet, apparently, twenty to twenty-five percent of uh, uh, academic positions uh, around the country in higher ed. Now are subject to these diversity statements when I was invited to apply to be Dean of University of Tennessee Law School about a year and a half ago going on two years ago uh there was this requirement right what right what you have contributed to to d e i and I talked about being an immigrant and having experiences in Latin America and Europe and all this stuff uh, you know clearly was not good enough i wasn't even interviewed uh, invited to interview after having been invited to to apply, but that's what's going on again in completely unrelated. Issue areas. If you're going to be a professor of electrical engineering, uh, why is one? And they they say these in their training materials that this is one of our you know top three things: your research, your teaching, and your commitment to uh, equity. Um, It's really and and just saying things. This is what came out of the Texas Tech materials. Saying saying things like "I will evaluate people purely on their merit. I don't care where they're from, who they are, you know, what color, you know." And saying that is is uh, is not good, uh, according to these diversity statements. So get rid of those kinds of requirements, whether for hiring, for contracting, for uh, admissions. uh, That is, uh, I mean, you talk about the DEI bureaucracies more broadly. The specific issue of this kind of compelled speech is perhaps the most uh, insidious thing of all.
1: Is this going to require someone getting this to the Supreme Court in order to, to make these things Go away. I mean, in other words, it seems like people just go. Oh, I need a paycheck. I'm just going to sign this damn agreement and say that I am all of these things and and go to work. Uh, it's going to take people to stand up, right, and and fight this.
2: It could well be. And you know what's funny? i I'm, I'm hearing that in places that are uh, implementing these policies with respect to diversity statements, specifically of the kind that I've been proposing. Uh, There's pushback from some faculty and and others, and maybe there would be a test case saying uh, you're telling us that we can't require these diversity statements is a First Amendment violation in and of itself. If that kind of case gets up to the Supreme Court, I think that would be a big slap down of of this whole DI agenda.
1: Okay, quick break. More with Ilya Shapiro right after this. Well, I don't know about you, but the economy concerns me a lot. This Joe Biden economy is not what I signed up for, not what I voted for, certainly. But, you know, I think about it in two ways. Short term, eggs are really expensive. Long term, my retirement. What is it looking like? Well, there's one way to protect that retirement that no other way can protect, and that's gold and silver. And the only company I entrust when investing in gold and silver is Legacy Precious Metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com and find out what I'm talking about. You want to do this sooner than later. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw significant gains while others lost their retirements. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, download their free investor's guide. They can answer all of your questions. Again, you want to do this ASAP. Or give them a call and talk directly to one of their IRA experts, 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903 or Download that free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. By the way, I should mention the Manhattan Institute is a think tank whose mission is to develop and disseminate new ideas that foster greater economic choice and individual responsibility. Hallelujah and amen to that. That's why I'm a big fan, Ilya. All right, fourth and final pillar.
2: Uh, ending identity-based preferences. So, regardless of what the Supreme Court does with the UNC and Harvard, uh, cases that are on the dock at this term about racial preferences for admissions, uh, this would go broader than that. It, it goes to uh, all kind of identity-based, uh, factors and in hiring, uh, as well, uh, as admissions and, and contracting. And so, uh, this, this would, uh, prevent uh, uh, higher ed from trying to resist whatever the Supreme Court does. If it, if it presumably, as as uh, the conventional wisdom goes, will get rid of um, the use of race as a factor in in admissions, and so this is a way to get ahead of uh, trying to make an end run around the around those kind of uh, maneuvers.
1: So affirmative action. You think? Do you think that the Supreme Court is going to end this?
2: I think it will end. Uh, just you know, check a check a box, and you get a get a plus, and often a determinative plus. Um, it, it's uh, it's it, it's incontrovertible that uh, at any given level of academic achievement, it's much easier to get into whether it's Harvard or UNC or any selective institution uh, if you're black uh, uh, then than Latino then white then Asian. There's a hierarchy of Uh, You know, uh, depending on what race you are, uh, what And Asian
1: comes in after white.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: That's it. That's it's fascinating to me. I, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but why am I surprised? Like, why is that? Do you think?
2: Um, because uh, Asian American students have been too successful, and that's you can find educational administrators saying too successful in many ways, or that they're too too much into math and and medicine and science and and things like that. All of these stereotypes. I mean, at the, in the Harvard case, it came out that to downgrade Asian American applicants or to maintain uh, even the, as the applicant pool of, of of Asians explodes in the last decade or so. Um, the percentage of Asian Americans on campus at Harvard has about stayed the same, and at all Ivy League schools, they're sort of acting in concert. There might be an antitrust issue here, uh, as to boot. Uh, but the uh, the they, they, the Harvard uh, admissions officers downgraded their personality scores. So apparently, Asians are have uniformly bad personalities. Huh? Uh, That's you know. I,
1: I, I didn't know that. I'm so you know I well, well I've you didn't go to Harvard, Michelle. Yeah. No, I, no, I didn't, and I'm I'm grateful. <laughs> i although i sent my diploma back to uc berkeley which uh-huh. is where i did graduate from i'm it's it's to me it's just crazy and and you know uh, what can you say i all of this i said to you before we came on camera together Iliad, this seems really ambitious this whole plan and you said it is but you are optimistic why
2: I I I'm more optimistic than I was uh when I joined Manhattan Institute when I left Georgetown I thought academia was irredeemable but you know in the long term it could well be that as ordinary people normal people who don't spend their lives uh, focused on politics or you know living uh, online as they say uh the the the, the laptop left uh as it <laughs> were um uh, as they pay attention to what's going on and, and they say, well, you know, no wonder those elite institutions are out of whack. It's because they're, they're implementing all these policies that are racialist and just, just, just illiberal, just crazy, uh, uh, as you said. And as more and more people see that, there, there's a, there's a bit of this emperor has no clothes dynamic because there is an element. And I said this to you before we started as well. There's an element of a paper tiger. So these DEI projects seem just terribly fierce, and it's almost head spinning, you know, how quickly they've come online. You know, I went to law school 20 years ago, we didn't have any of this stuff. Uh, It's really been in the last decade. And as I've been doing research for my latest book, which I'm writing now, the working title is Canceling Justice, the Illiberal Takeover of Legal Education. Um, uh, You know, really, it's been in the last few years, uh, where you have the growth of the vice president for DEI, the director of diversity the all of these types of bureaucratic uh, offices and and positions uh it could be that uh to push back on them it it only takes you know awakening that large plurality in the middle that otherwise just you know wants to be there to do their work to get a job to get through it to have fun if you're a college student you know all these other priorities that are and, and should be uh, more important than fighting uh this generations uh PC wars, political correctness wars, what we called them in the 90s. Um, so, you know, maybe there there's reason to be optimistic because you, you do see every now and again, and increasingly so, university presidents saying, hold on. Uh, they've been shamed. They've been shamed. And as I said, if they're, they you know, university officials respond to two things. They respond to donors and they respond to publicity, Um so the more that those dynamics can both be introduced and I'm trying to do my part to uh to shine that light on and to to get people uh, aware awakened to ironically enough what exactly is is going on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we need <laughs> we need to wake up to the woke. So if if someone's listening here to this podcast and they say, you know, I am so sick of the DEI and I and my university is committing this stuff and I'm sick of it. As an individual, like you said, just an average person out there, college degree, and they see what's happening at their schools, is it worth a letter? Is it worth saying, you get no more of my money?
2: Absolutely. Even if
1: they're, even if they're a small donor?
2: Even if you're a small donor, uh, universities track percentage of donations, and they know that every letter, every email, uh, every tweet they receive, represents many multiples of just that one person. They do are know that. People... You're
1: convinced of that.
2: Oh, yeah. they, they okay. You know, they're marketing experts and they're, you know, the development officers. They're trained to understand how to push people's buttons and how to activate certain parts of the alumni community. I mean, these are sophisticated models at, at this point. We're not talking, you know, 60 years ago in the analog age where you kind of just like you know, make some phone calls, send out some letters and hope they, they send some cash back. Now there are so there's all this, uh, you know, modeling and spreadsheeting and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, every every uh, uh, individual letter, even if you're a small donor, even if you're not a donor, but you're just an alumnus, uh, that matters. That matters. And, and similarly, if you're not an alumnus, let's say you don't have a college degree for, for, from anywhere, um, you know, writing your 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 state uh, officials, uh, your county officials, your local officials, um, it matters. It gets noticed you know, even more. Uh, your congressman you know, represents 700,000 to a million people, might not notice as much, but they, you know, they track these things, overall numbers. Uh, but a lot of this is more of a state than a federal issue or a local issue when we're talking about K to 12. But for colleges, um, absolutely, keep the pressure on in all sorts of ways. And it doesn't have to be any long or sophisticated thing, but tell it in your own words. Uh, and, the, and the point is, you know, what does DEI mean to you? Because people are finding out about it. Uh, and it's not, again, on the legal side, it's not complying with civil rights laws. It's not trying to get rid of civil rights laws. Uh, and it's not trying to get rid of, you know, someone wants to have a Mexican folkloric dance group on campus. Fantastic. African American cultural group. Fantastic. Uh, it's instead, uh, you know, in fact, our, our proposals that we went through um, excludes student organizations. You can have a student organiz- organization to learn about Marxism. You know, that's what college is for. You want to you have some sort of interest, you can develop it. This instead is coming to prevent universities from indoctrinating in certain ways. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the key difference.
1: It's a major difference. And it's interesting to hear that. An email to a, a congressperson, a letter to your university, a tweet mentioning your university or a university and the displeasure associated with that can make a difference. Ilya Shapiro, we're so glad to get your, your input on this. I, I wish you godspeed with this because I think this DEI stuff is, is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing that, you know, those words individually, except for equity, which I, just people just wake up. Well, equity. E- even
2: the word equity—that just means means fairness. And in in Anglo-American law, we've had centuries of courts of equity, you know, doing things, ruling in ways that uh, that are fair in various ways. So even that word uh, originally is is perfectly innocuous. But again, it's been twisted to mean something else.
1: Yes, it has. And again, uh, you know, all of those words sound really nice, but this has become an industry. DEI. Everyone knows what those letters mean. And as you said, there are just so many administrators now at colleges and universities across the country that are there simply to impose this stuff. And <laughs> what did you say? They're spineless. The, the deans spineless and the presidents. Spineless cowards. Spineless cowards. Talk to them and uh, play on that spineless cowardice and tell them you're not going to give money anymore. It's 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 so disappointing. Um, Ilya, Godspeed, like I said. I hope you guys – I hope this goes where it should go, and, uh, th- and
2: and and one other thing that I've yeah. gotten going since the last time we spoke is I have a Substack now, Shapiro's Gavel, where I talk about you know law, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and have detailed both my experience and other things that I'm learning uh, in this space.
1: Shapiro's Gavel on Substack. Substack is such a great place to visit and browse and find out what's out there from independent thinkers. Uh, I- I'm going to go subscribe right now. Thank you. (laughs) Ilya, thanks. Uh, we'll, We'll follow up with you and can't wait to see the book when it comes out.
2: Great. Great. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Sideline Sanity. Don't forget to be brave and do good. See you next time.